Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Kimmy Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Hi, everyone. Oh my gosh, I am so glad that you are here and you decided to take a listen. Welcome to the very first episode of The Bee Podcast. So since the podcast is about creating a platform for women to share their unique experiences, I thought it only appropriate to start by talking about one of my personal experiences. So here we go. I think that at one point in every woman's journey, she sits and she thinks about her life and why she is where she is. I mean, I think I think we know why we are where we are, or at least we think we know why we are where we are. But within that process, I think we begin to unfold those pieces of our lives that make us unique or make us who we are. But through the history of mankind, women have taken on this flatness and kind of tried to force ourselves to be flat or one-dimensional. As an English teacher, in literature, we have round characters and we have flat characters, okay? And if you remember anything from school, round characters are the characters that grow. They are the characters that flourish. And the flat characters are the characters that stay the same. So generally, the villain is a flat character. But women are round characters. We are round characters that have unique experiences that foster growth. So I think that we take on this flatness though, and we try to force ourselves to be flat or one dimensional or that we stifle ourselves often when we don't need to. So for example, women who experience passion or anger or any type of big emotion, all of which I argue are totally what make women awesome, I think we're oppressed by the stereotype that kind of squanders that innate and deliberate complexity that we have. So since each piece of us is made up of experiences, sometimes they're too painful to remember, but we have to remember them anyway. Or there's big pieces of instances of joy in our lives that bring smiles to our faces. But each piece of our pain, our trauma, or our joy or our love, it builds on the other, creating our own personal complexity. So placing all of who and what we are and what we've experienced into a neatly packaged gift wrapped and placed under a tree is just foolish to me. For example, my daughter loves to wrap gifts. Christmas is her favorite time because she loves to wrap gifts. And it drives me crazy because I like my gifts wrapped a certain way, but she loves to help. Before we moved into our new home, she would often find toys around the house that she would, she'd wrap up and she'd give to anyone who had maybe earned her affections in that moment. For example, one of these times, she chose an action figure that was buried in a wicker tote that my husband and I used to store toys that find their way into our living room floor. So instead of keeping them on the floor, we just threw them in these wicker totes under the coffee table, okay? So she was so excited to have found this toy that she was going to give away. So her excitement as she pulled it out was just so sweet. 
and she chose her favorite coloring pages to use for the wrapping paper because it wasn't Christmas time after all. So she had to be creative and find this new, uh, some, something else to wrap, wrap this action figure with. Okay. So instead of tape, she used stickers, of course, right? So we made our way to the paint and nail polish stained dining room table that we had. And I just sat and I watched and I encouraged and waited with her as her little mind worked. Many of the angles of the action figure were really sharp and her eyes would kind of squint and sharpen as she would try to understand the best way to cover up that edgy piece. Then she realized that she would have to use more paper than she first had thought to cover the toy entirely. And she finally kind of was understanding that it wasn't as easy as she hoped. So I asked her if she'd like a box to place the toy in. She said no. And as she worked, I couldn't help but think that this is so like us. As children, we're often mesmerized by the idea of what could be, right? We think about the future and what we have to offer. And we're so hopeful. We're so excited that we found this piece of action figure at the bottom of a wicker tote. But like that action figure, we all have those edgy, hard to cover parts that make relationships difficult, that make friendships difficult, that sometimes making, make just loving ourselves even can be difficult sometimes. We think that if we have too many unforgiving, hard to cover, sharp edges, it would be easier to just fit inside of a box. If only I could lose that 30 pounds, if I could just have dealt with that thing differently, maybe I could just shake my anxiety. Why can't I just suck it up? I allow my brain this negative self-talk far too often, and I'm sure you do too. So I offered my daughter a box. A box would be easier, right? It has flat sides. Boxes are easier to wrap. They're easier to hide the sharp edges. Of course, boxes also have sharp edges, right? We're just used to seeing them. They're acceptable, the kind we're familiar with. Acceptable sharp edges, you know, like sarcasm or passive aggression or sending the salad back because the dressing wasn't on the side. The thing is, she knew she could wrap it. So she continued to wrap coloring paper on top of another, stickers on top of stickers, and then she asked for my help just by holding stickers, placing them in the right spot. Eventually, she was successful in wrapping the toy. She had wrapped it without putting it into a box. She did it. She asked for help from an adult, someone with a bit more dexterity, someone who knew that would be able to help her, and she did it. So she wrapped her toy the way she wanted it. It wasn't without deliberation and time and concentration, but when she was done, her face just was glowing with pride. The paper was jagged and the stickers were coming off in places that the paper was too heavy for flower stickers to hold, but she did it. Immediately after, her pride just swelled and you could see it and she tore open the package to find her newly remembered favorite toy. I remember looking at her and just kind of startled. I said, Eloise, why did you open that? I thought you were going to give it away. And she looked at me and she said, I'm giving it to myself, mom. And there it was. And then she looked at it and she said, she looked at this toy that she had totally forgotten even existed until this moment that she found it. And she said, I was looking for you all day. Which really means I haven't really been looking for you in the slightest, but I found you and I realized how much I missed you. She was just so excited. And it was as if she hadn't an inkling that the toy she had just spent a substantial amount of time 
on was inside. It was like a total surprise to her. And she loved it. Like 30 minutes ago, she had forgotten that that toy had even existed. But next, she pulled it out, spent time wrapping its hard-to-cover sides, and was successful in gifting herself this toy. And off she went. I think that as women, we often forget who we are. Or at least we try to forget who we are. I mean, it would be so much easier if we could be someone else or at least look like someone else or react the same way that we think someone else would react or behave in the way that we imagine other women on our news feeds would behave. Romanticize our past not being our past or resenting the past that is our past or resenting the present that is our present. Even when we think we find ourselves, we're still taunted by our edgy features or our hard-to-cover brokenness with stickers that aren't even strong enough to hold us together. I think that if we as women could rediscover ourselves or begin a conversation with the women around us and wrap ourselves in this acceptance and embrace our uneven, hard-to-cover edges and genuinely open up ourselves and explore those sharp edges, we would start to truly understand love in all forms. Not only that, but I think that we would usher in this new generation of women who understand what it means to be a woman. We are not flat. No woman is flat. And it's unfortunate that we are influenced to narrow ourselves and define who we are by the shallows that around us that are dictating that. We are robust and round in every aspect, and it's time that we dive into our rich personal histories as women and understand where we come from, who we are, who the women are that raised us, and how and, and who we choose to be. So personally, I've spent way too much of my time being envious of women that I felt inferior to. So let me explain. I've always been in this competition with other women in my brain, and I've been really two-faced about it. But not like the two-faced makeup palette that turns you into a vixen. Quite the opposite. I have seen myself act really ugly and have had super ugly thoughts about women who've done me absolutely nothing wrong. You know, except seem flawless, graceful, and full of ambition on Facebook. So, like, on the outside, I seem to be super friendly. But it's been a total farce. And to be honest, my husband has worked with multiple women in his career that I deemed prettier than me, fitter than me, or seem to have had more to offer. Therefore, there must be something that I'm lacking. Not only did I believe that they were prettier than me, that they also worked in this field, so obviously this made them more attractive. Logical, right? There seemed to also be an unusually high case um, number of infidelity in the department, in the department for which he worked, which totally fueled my blind envy. I was living in this weird, awful fear that totally wasn't mine, but I had absorbed this from my negative self-talk. I should really also mention that my husband has been fiercely loyal and dedicated to me and his three children, has done nothing to cause me to think that he would be unfaithful. Should I mention that? No, not necessary, because this is my battle I've chosen to start and consistently fight with to no end in sight. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's my own little war on terrorism in my brain never ending until recently why do we do this we compare we compare ourselves and this is a certain struggle that i have comparison so god tells us in second corinthians 10:12 that we dare not classify or compare ourselves with someone who condemn or commend themselves when they measure themselves by them when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they are not wise oh but i dare 
<laughs> I will dare classify and compare all day long. There are some days that I feel complete and shut down any thoughts from the enemy that may put into question my self-worth. You know, the days that I begin with a thankful heart and when I felt secure in the material things around me. I grew up constantly hearing my mom remind me that my attitude was the condition of my heart. So your thoughts become your actions, okay? And she's right. My brother and I had attitude, attitude checks almost daily to kind of solidify this in our brain. It's truth. And even if you don't buy into Jesus and you don't buy into this, you just don't buy into it, the truth of Proverbs 4.23-27 through 27 should strike you. Listen to this. So it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. I mean, not bad advice. Am I right? Like, even if you don't prescribe to Jesus, isn't this like truthful? If we could meditate and fix our eyes ahead of just fix our eyes ahead instead of allowing ourselves to buy into this comparison, like why wouldn't we make that habit? Wouldn't that make for like a pretty bomb girl power love for each other? Like to genuinely support and challenge one another? I wonder what that would even look like. I mean, I've got some ideas, but first, you gotta get your mind right. Okay. So, like, I get it. I'm only 30. I've only lived, you know, 30 years. But even in those 30 years, I've had some really interesting experiences that have shaped me. I understand that my experience, although valid, is limited. But wouldn't our lives become so much richer if we had these conversations with each other that require self-reflection and growth? I think with social media, we have the luxury of being so far removed from everyone, but also close enough for those we follow to share small glimpses into their lives. But what if we saw more? And what if we had access to the real reasons behind those vague Facebook and Instagram posts? So I recently scrolled through a Facebook post um, with a super cute selfie of one of my acquaintances and her caption read something about beginning to love herself again. And I knew that there was more to that post and I, I, I knew it. There had to be. But here's the thing. Unless you're an intimate friend of this person, you would never really know her story, why she was posting that. So here's the thing. I know that not every story needs to be shared. But like, wouldn't it be incredible if everyone knew the story behind her deciding to love herself again? Like, couldn't it provide encouragement and empowerment to someone else fighting the same battle? Listen, I understand the need for privacy, and some things aren't necessary to share. Some things don't need public knowledge. I respect your and my own privacy, but I also believe that there's growth and power in sharing an experience so that you and others may grow around you. Growing in empathy and acceptance and love and fulfillment is what this movement is all about. Even if we don't understand or agree with each other and the way we choose to live our lives, wouldn't it, I mean, wouldn't we have a deeper understanding of each other or a greater respect or acceptance for one another? So my challenge to you is to put aside your preconceived ideas about the topics that will be discussed on this podcast and instead genuinely listen. Listen to the real stories and struggles of women that are no different from you on each and every episode of The Bee. Another challenge for myself. If I'm asking you to be real, 
then I also need to be real, right? Vulnerability is where we grow and where we heal. So behind this comparison struggle that I've had since, you know, I don't know, nine years ago when we got married, here's here's some backstory behind that. So my husband and I, TJ and I got married on August 27th in 2011. So it's been a bit. We didn't have much money at all. I worked at a coffee shop and I was a personal trainer and I was also going to school full time. I actually graduated with my bachelor's in psychology the week of our wedding. It was nuts. TJ was working a swing shift as a corrections officer for our local sheriff's department and he had already earned his BA in criminal justice administration. We were poor, 21-year-old babies. We just really wanted to start life together. And again, such babies. Me especially. I don't know about you, but I have a chronic habit of romanticizing things. Uh, I like to create a huge grand illusion of what life will be like. And so as you can imagine with that delusion, after we were married, um, things got real. We lived in this cute little parsonage of a Methodist church in Agency, Iowa, with a there was a railroad in the backyard, basically. I mean, it was so close to our house. So we got used to sleeping with white noise every night. And to this day, I still have to have the murmur of a fan to sleep. Also, because TJ snores, I love you, TJ. Although you ad- adamantly admit that you don't snore, you do. <laughs> Maybe we never had a train pass in the night after all. Maybe it was just TJ's snoring. Anyway, we had started to put our lives together as a couple, and I just loved it. It was so great. Remember when you were young and you thought that being older would somehow bring you wisdom? Like, sure, yes, being older does grant you some wisdom, but I remember thinking that even though we were only 21, we were totally old enough to be married, make choices, be independent, and life would just really come together. Guys, 21 is the new 18. Getting married at 21 with a habit of romantical thinking was probably a bit naive. I loved and still do love my husband. I just had no idea the magnitude of work that goes into marriage. And um, can I say parenthood? Can I get an amen? So after the newness of the wedding had wore off and the lights fell on this difficult part of marriage, okay? Swing shift is really awful. Working part-time really sucks. Never seeing your spouse, not ideal. When I was home and ready to go mingle, TJ was often sleeping from working odd hours or day in it like this like weird day's trance from working odd hours. The honeymoon was over, you guys. So those of you who do know my husband know that he's not super verbal, okay? Which is my foil. Words are huge to me. Thus, my expert level of comparison, okay? I look at the words and pictures posted on social media and compare my my reality to the pieces I find on the internet. And I I find joy and comfort in meaningful conversations. In the same way, lack of meaningful conversations and affirmation decrease my fulfillment. TJ just doesn't enjoy long conversations. He's pretty straightforward and to the point. And at this early stage in our marriage... I didn't understand that words are not that important to him. They're not that important to him in the same way that they're important to me. Words are very important to me. But what's most important to TJ is action. Action is where the money is. Action is what 
he thrives on, okay? Which totally explains his never-ending acts of service for our family. He's constantly doing something to our house, trying to constantly improve our business or, I mean, clean the house or do the dishes. He's always putting, he's always putting action behind those things, whereas words are huge to me. TJ's heart um, might have begun to block up because I was constantly pressing for conversation. I like, like I said, neither of us really knew that about each other yet. I didn't realize that actions were so important to him and he didn't realize that words were so important to me. So we both kind of started to block up. I was constantly pressing for conversation and we were both exhausting the other emotionally. I began to look for conversation and fulfillment in other places. And I started staying out with friends late at night. And I often wouldn't even talk to TJ at all. And I started to make some pretty awful judgment calls, you guys. And this was just a year into our marriage. We'd, we, we always knew we'd be married. And we always knew that we would be the best, best match for each other, you guys. We've known each other since middle school. And we were high school sweethearts. Okay? We always knew we'd be together. But you guys, it's hard. It was like everything that we believed to be true about love and marriage were so far away from us and it felt like we needed a do-over. So during this time, I had broken my husband's trust. I didn't have an affair, but I easily could have. And I didn't tell him about it. I had started staying over at my friends' houses and avoiding him because I selfishly didn't want to talk about anything. I was deeply embarrassed at myself and angry with him. How could I even flirt around with the idea of leaving him? It was this lowest point in my married life that I knew that I needed him. It hurt. He hurt. He was physically sick. We both hurt so deeply. We even talked about divorce. I remember his parents even came over one night and my mother-in-law and I cried together and she said she just wanted to support us in any way that she could. But TJ and I had both bottled and shut up. I knew that this romanticized idea in my brain of what marriage was was totally shattered now. I remember looking at him in the apartment that we lived in after all of this came to a head. And he looked at me and he said, okay, Cammie, what? What do you want? What is it that you want? And I remember that because it was so very Ryan Gosling of him. And I looked at him and I had tears in my eyes and I said, I don't know, but I didn't follow through because I know that I love you. And he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, I love you too. And I think we actually held each other and cried ourselves to sleep that night. We started marriage counseling after that and the real work began. And it was so hard, so hard, such hard work, but not like the Cinderella work with like little field mice to help you. No, you had to do this on your own and you had to get nitty gritty and real. And it was hard. It was just really hard because at that time, see, I hadn't realized that my shortcomings were his strengths and vice versa. So like, for example, do you know how organized I am? The answer is not a lot. I am really not that organized. My brain is super creative going in 5,000 different directions all the time. Oh, but my TJ, (laughs) he is number one in organization and logistics. He's a rock star at this, but I'm not. And I didn't see that that was such a I just didn't see the importance of that when I was, you know, 20 years old. I had always seen them like these differences that we had as pitfalls. And when I began to understand them as pieces that uh, enriched the other, I began to appreciate my husband on a completely different level. That's just one 
small piece of my story of a as a woman that's just ugly. It's an ugly piece of my story. But I think that ugly can be traded in for beauty when growth happens. I leaned on others for that growth. I leaned on my husband. I looked inside and was critical of my own thoughts and I self-evaluated. I want to also challenge you to remember that those experiences that you've maybe regretted that you've grown from can be shared. They might help others feel as though they can revisit a hurtful experience to grow. Your journey is unique to you, but it can help someone else. If you catch yourself allowing your brain to believe lies that you experience is, the, the lies that you experience are invalid, stop. Remind yourself that you're not flat. You are a robust character. Your experiences are valid. They're unique and important. I mean, even the unpleasant, icky experiences, they're so important. We need to have these conversations, guys. Deep conversations with one another. Conversations that peel back layers upon layers to reveal who we are. Women at every stage of life, listen. We have experiences to share, advice to different generations, voices that need to be heard. Your voice needs to be heard. Your stories and experiences are valid and have power to help heal, challenge, encourage, and empower those who are willing to listen. And don't we owe this to ourselves? Don't we owe this to the next generation of women? You are not a flat character, girl. You are robust, round, complete, yet growing. And you've got butt to kick. And I think we can do this together. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and make sure to screenshot this week's episode to share on your social media in order to bring awareness to this project. Join our community on Facebook at The Bee Podcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken and this has been The Bee Podcast.